great big good morning. Wonderful to have you joining us. I am super excited about today's service. We are joined today in a joint service with Curtis Childs. Everybody. A dear buddy, great message deliverer, and, and we're going to be splitting the service today. And we want to welcome everyone who's joining us here from the Swedenborg Foundation. Our two organizations, the Swedenborg Foundation, New Church Live, share the same compass. And it's wonderful when we actually get not only share the same comfort, compass, excuse me, but share the same stage. So with that, it's I give you good. Curtis Childs. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. I appreciate that applause, but I need you to work with me a little bit this morning because I, I was pretty busy and I didn't have any time to prepare for this talk. I don't even totally know what it's about. Something about faith. And I, I, I didn't get a ton of sleep last night. I was, you know, I was out doing things. But I promise this is going to be worth your time. Just have faith. Is that what faith is? Is that what it is to have faith? It's the act of believing in something that seems like you shouldn't believe in it, or something that's hard to believe, it doesn't make sense rationally, but I'm gonna be able to do it anyway, so that's what faith is. There's gotta be more to it than that, especially if Jesus says this about faith, that if you have faith as a mustard seed, and I wanna pause right there, because whenever I hear mustard seed, Mustard is kind of a silly condiment, and you think of it as this yellow thing that you sometimes squeeze, so it kind of takes some of the majesty out of this quote. The reason he's saying mustard seed is a mustard seed is teeny, teeny, tiny little seed that actually grows into a very big plant for the size of the seed. So that's the significance of the mustard. Don't, don't think about that French's bottle. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That sounds like, particularly if we're talking about the mountains in our lives that need to be moved, that sounds like something more than believing something that you really have no business believing because it doesn't make sense to you. So what is faith? that it can have that impact. And I wanna give you a two-part definition of faith from New Church Theology. So this is from Swedenborg's books, New Jerusalem and From Faith. So the first part is this. Faith is a passion for truth that comes from wanting to do what truth teaches because it is the truth. Truth, 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 truth. Fundamentally, faith is a, is a feeling. It, is, it starts in a passion for what is true. When I hear faith, usually I think of a set of principles or dogmatic axioms, but faith fundamentally is a feeling. This is, I, I, I am smitten by the truth itself. Okay, that's part one. And then the other part is, faith is an inner recognition that something is true. So this is a passion for the truth and then a recognizing of it when you find it. And I want to illustrate that concept, what it looks like to have somebody who has a longing for the truth coupled with a recognition of the truth when they get it. Have you ever heard the word or the phrase Eureka? Eureka! I don't know if you've, probably none of you have ever said it, but it's in the pop culture enough that cartoon characters will say it when they reach some conclusion. Do you know where that saying comes from? So according to the legend, uh, this phrase, it, it means I have it or I found it in Greek and it was brought to us by Archimedes. Archimedes was a ancient Greek everything, but in, in particular mathematician and scientist. And he had this scenario where there was a local king, and the king wanted a fancy crown, as kings do. And the king had taken a bar of gold and given it to a blacksmith and said, can you take this gold and make it into a crown for me? And so the blacksmith, a couple of days later, brought back this crown, but the king thought, I think I got ripped off. 
I think this blacksmith lopped off some of that gold and kept it and filled the rest of the crown in with silver. But this is a long time ago when they don't have labs or anything to test for it. So the king didn't know, how do I know if this crown is really gold or not? So he put out this call. He went to Archimedes and said, hey, I know you're smart. Solve this for me. And Archimedes said, okay, I'm going to try to do it. Not knowing at the time how he would solve that problem. And there's a lot riding on this. There was, obviously, you don't want to displease the king, but this was also an opportunity for him to become well-known. It obviously worked since we're talking about him now thousands of years later. But he didn't know how to solve it. And he was going at it for days and trying to figure out how would I ever tell if there's a different substance than gold in this. And as, as the story goes, he went to take a bath one day. And as he got into the bath... Some water, because it was close to full when he got in, he got into the bath and a little bit of water spilled up over the edge onto the ground. And in that moment, he understood the reason that water went up is because my body went in. And it's got to be that the amount of water that comes out of the bath is related to how dense my body is. And in that moment, he understood you can measure the density of anything by the amount of density to volume by the amount of water that it displaces. And because he knew that that was the way he was going to be able to tell what material this crown was made out of, he had his answer. And according to Wikipedia, he yelled, Eureka! And he was so pumped up that he didn't put on any clothes and ran out through whatever ancient Greek city saying, Eureka, Eureka! I found it. He had this longing for the truth, and then he had this recognition of the truth. And those together led to this eureka moment in his life. But for us, that's the same construct that faith is, but the faith we're pursuing doesn't have anything to do with ornate, excessive jewelry for a king or public nudity. This is about something else. So if we're seeing that as a model, though, what's the longing that's driving us? What is the problem posed, not by the king, but by God in our faith journey? So this is a very famous passage where somebody asks Jesus, what's it all about? I think I quote this every single new church live I give, so let's stick with tradition here. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything of faith hangs on those. Because the law and the prophets, that's the rest of the Bible. That is the word of the doctrine, what we generally think of as faith. That is the truth that we have this passion for, and the passion is faith. So somehow, all of that, all of the things that we know about spiritual or religious stuff hangs on this desire to love the neighbor and love God. So with that in mind, here's a bit of an expansion to our definition of faith. This is from Faith 13. Having just said what faith is, I need now to say what caring is. Caring is this loving the Lord, loving the neighbor. And if you're talking about faith, you have to talk about love at the same time. Caring originates in a desire to do something good. That's our starting point. Since what is good loves what is true, this desire leads to a desire for truth and therefore to the recognition of what is true which is faith. Faith, as we think of it, as an intellectual framework by which you follow God and try to make those principles the credible ones that you pursue in life, that's the middle step. It starts in the desire to do something good. Why, why are any of you on this path in the first place? Why are you coming to church? Why are you trying to follow God in your life? It's because we want to do something good. We have this vision that there's a, there's a better way to live. There's a way that we're meant to live, and we want to follow that. That is the starting point for the faith journey. 
You can't have the concepts and the ideas without their reason for being, which is this desire to do something good. When you hear faith, you don't always think love, but faith is nothing without love driving it. Faith is just a middle step in that progression. And since that's our driving force, the, the, the desire is not to build the crown, but the desire is to do something good, which ultimately is to love God and love the neighbor. What's that recognition look like? If the faith is a longing for and then a recognition of truth, what allows us to recognize the truth when we hear it? Because Archimedes wasn't just able to recognize that that water spilling over the bath was the solution out of nowhere. I could have got in that bathtub if I was him back then and just said, oh, look at that, the water spilled over the side. Oh, yeah, well, how am I going to solve this crown thing? I don't know anything about volume and displacement and any physics and whatever. He didn't know the answer, but he knew enough context that he recognized the answer when he saw it. That's why he said, I have it. He knew that that was it. Even though he, he, didn't, he couldn't have generated it from himself, he recognized it when we came. So for him, it was, his, it was his desire to make the crown in his background and the knowledge of all those things. For us, for us, it's the desire to do what's right. It is the desire to follow God and to make love the thing that's central in our lives. That's what leads your heart to when you hear something that is true. Yeah, that's right. It's like this intuitive grasping that that, that is true. That's the faith journey. But it's not something that you can go on unless you do have some kind of rational understanding of the concept. You can't, blind faith can be a part of something, but it's not actual faith. It's not actually where we're going to. This is from Faith 2. Sure, I'm just going to keep lobbing definitions of faith at you because it's a, it's, it's a multifaceted thing, but I would say these are all pointing to something in the middle, and Chuck is gonna hit you with some more as we go, so just put your seatbelts on. Real faith is simply recognizing that something is so because it is true. This means that people who are devoted to real faith both think and say, this is true and that's why I believe it, okay? But the second part, so if we do not understand that something is true, we say, I don't know whether this is true or not. So I don't believe it yet. How can I believe something that doesn't make sense to me? It may be false. Even if you hear something from, let's say, the New Church Live stage or from a religious text that you're reading, it can be that you're aspiring to make it part of your faith, but until, until it really makes sense to you, you don't have to believe it. It's not faith is, I get it. I get it and it makes sense. And I've seen this for myself, even, even in New Church Theology, which I love and I read all the time, there are certain parts of it that I say, well, that sounds cool, but I don't, I don't really get what that is and I don't really see how that works. But there are other things that through going on my life journey and having to draw on it when I need it and seeing how the world works, that I feel like, Eureka, that, that is the answer. And I understand, I understand what that means and, and I genuinely if nobody was looking over my shoulder saying, do you believe that? That I think, that, that really is true. That's, that's awesome. That's what the faith recognition moment is. And I think the place where this gets shown most clearly is in the story of the centurion. You know that story? I don't know. It's one, uh, it's one that I like a lot and I don't know exactly why. And that is how a lot of the biblical text is for me. It, it, I'll have certain passages that just move me emotionally, and I don't quite know why, and this is one of them. Luckily, we get to read it on topic here because it's, it just, it's describing this principle exactly. So, this is in Matthew 8, and it begins, Jesus is going around and he's healing everybody, and people are hearing about this, and they... A lot of people come to him to get healed. Some people go to represent 
other people. This is where our story begins. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, which is like an army commander, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus is a nice guy, so he says, Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. And then centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And a lot of people think this is the faith side of this story, because look at that, he believes Jesus can do it. But I think the real faith part of it is this next paragraph or this next verse, which by some rights doesn't even really need to be in there. So after he says, I believe my servant will be healed, he says, for I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That's some of the highest praise Jesus ever gives anyone. So the centurion must be this model of faith. I would have thought that if he really had faith, he would have just said, Jesus, I believe that you can do it. Full stop. Why does he go on and tell Jesus how military command works after that? It's because this is the centurion saying, I get how this works. I believe you can do it, and I understand why you can do it because I'm drawing on an example from my own life where I understand that I'm, I have the responsibility of directing this group of people, and so when I say something, it happens, and this is how an organization works. And because of that, I can extrapolate my position and see you're the commander of the universe, and so if you say for something to be done, it will be done. The centurion is saying, I get how this works. And that's when faith really comes alive for us, is when, for example, we, we look out initially at the world and we say, how can God be good? Because there's so much that's going on that seems troubling and seems not good. But as we learn about the ways in which God works, we learn about the nature of love and how things uh, good can come out of hard situations and how in the end things seem to work out, we can say, I get it. I get it. I, I not only have an intuitive sense or, or, or a, a belief in some way that you're taking care of us, but I, I get that you are. That's when these two converge. Faith has its partner in love, and together we have this faith experience. So let's let that part of faith sink in a little bit, and after this song, Chuck is going to expand on how faith and love are partnered together. Yeah, I love where you're at. Hey, I 
fun. So, so folks, I loved what Curtis had to say there. Yeah, and that's what I want to share about with you. I want to share about how faith and love go together. So I had my own eureka moment. Now, just to get us all kind of in this space, and don't worry, I'm not going to come running out of the tub in my binnies here, but just if we could all say eureka together at the count of three, including those of you at home, I'm like Santa Claus, I'll know if you don't say it. So ready, one, two, three. Eureka! Yes, Eureka! Like, what was a Eureka moment? One for me came in a really hard time and looking through new church theology and coming to this beautiful core Christian concept faith is the eye of love. That's right up there in my mind with hope is love stretching into the future and grace is when for a moment we see the world as God does. It, it just is one of these things that's like a truth that's a eureka moment, like, oh. And it's not a eureka moment like e equals mc squared that leads to nuclear weapons. <laughs> it's, it's a different kind of truth. It's a truth that brings peace and comfort and a view of God that is, has everything to do with love and has nothing to do with punishment. Now the story I wanna, I wanna share with you, it's one of my favorite ones. And again, we, I know we're gonna have a lot of people watching this over the course of the week. Again, a lot of our audience joins us on their archive services here uh, who've never been to New Church Live before because they're coming in, they're tuning in out of the Swedenborg Foundation portal. And I wanna welcome you. And, and, and one of my favorite stories I'd love to share with all of you and all of us is again, this, this, this beautiful story of Noah's Ark. And I can remember this, this, you know, coming across this story way back when, when we started New Church Live 14 years ago, but who's counting? And, and it was this idea that the ark, you know, I was reading about it, and Noah's ark, it's not Noah's boat. It's not Noah's boat. It's Noah's ark. That's something very different. And this ark had no rudder, no sail, no compass, no engine, obviously, no maps. Have any of us ever been in a storm that felt just like that? <laughs> you better all be raising your virtual hands. Yes, we have all been in storms like that. Storms that seem to last forever. And it's interesting with the storm, you know, and if, if you're aware of it, not everyone here is, is biblically, like, you know, all the ins and outs of the Bible. A lot of our audience doesn't, and that's totally fine. But the story has it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but that's not when the flood ended. Like, the flood kept on going. That was just the rain. And I think there's something very true about that to our stories, that, that we can really feel like that. And, and that's why this story is a story of faith, and it's a story of faith as the eye of love. Very, very different perspective. Now, this story gets to this beautiful line here, and it's, oops, sorry, just downsized that by accident. And it says, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. So, so what happens is, is they're all in this, in this ark 
uh, this time of our lives where we're just feeling rudderless, there's no direction, we have no real clue what's going on, we're all shut in to our own selves, and, and that, and weirdly, like here's a whole sermon in and of itself, that shutting in is both a protection and a prison, that's kind of interesting, uh, you know, see me later for a sermon on that. But, but it's an interesting time, and then, and then eventually the storm ends, and it has this line, and Noah goes up to the top and he opens a window. He opens a window of the ark. And that's where we discover that faith is the eye of love. That discovery there, folks, it takes place in this first light. And the storm is still, the flood is still. Not still as in like over, it's, it's still there, like you can't see solid land, but there's just this little glimpse of first light. Faith is the eye of love. Just imagine, you know, if you understand fully, which I imagine all of us do, and maybe you're even sitting here or sitting in your living room, and you know exactly what that arc is all about for you right now. And all you can do is just open a little window. And maybe just in opening that, maybe you can just for today, just this is my commitment to faith. Not faith that's going to understand all. Folks, I'm around stuff all the time. Like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I know that even in those moments, if I just try to look at the world with love, with softness, somehow things start to change. And, and, and I want to say, faith is the eye of love. It's not sort of like, Dewey-eyed, like, oh, the world is so beautiful. No, it's a flood. <laughs> it's a flood. There's crazy animals all over the place. The carnivores and the herbivores are not mixing well. And yet even there, we can just practice this faith is the eye of love. And that is not a shouting eureka moment. I think that's a very quiet Oh, God's here too, kind of moment. And folks, that's, that's what it's all about, right? And we can do that and we can figure out ways to share life that way at that first light. This is, this is something that's so super important, what I want to share with you here. And, and for those of you who haven't been to a Christian New Church service, this is, this is really the key point of what I want to share in particular, because I think it really matters it's this idea that faith never travels alone. That faith never travels alone. It's interesting, folks. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, faith is sort of, we can view it like a pill. You know, that, that guess what? I have faith. And I'm going to give some to you. The only problem is, a lot of the time, we don't want it. Right? I, I mean, anytime someone, I mean, imagine me walking up to you with eyedroppers right now going, would you mind if I just put these in your eyes? I don't think you'd be too impressed. Right? And it's, it's, so it's not about seeing, seeing faith as a pill, sort of as a standalone thing, that once you have it, you're good. Once you have it, you're saved. Once, you're, once you have it, end of story. Now, the faith, it's not like a pill or not like eyedrops. Faith is much richer than that. It's never just alone. A fascinating thing that, that the Christian New Church theology comes back to again and again is that the big bad guy in all the stories, it's about faith alone. If faith is only alone, that's dangerous. Kind of interesting, right? Anytime we, I mean, the way we might say it today, anytime you weaponize religion, anytime you weaponize religion, I can guarantee one thing, you're wrong. You cannot weaponize religion. You cannot weaponize faith. That's not what it's all about. It's not about a pill. As Curtis said, it's about this seed, and it's about a mustard seed that grows, and it grows into beautiful things. 
Uh, many of you know this. It's a little piece of biblical humor that Jesus says, like, you have this little tiny mustard seed. If you have faith just like that, it will grow into this beautiful tree. Well, mustard, as many of you know, is not a tree. It's an invasive weed. <laughs> and that's what he's saying, like, this faith can grow, and it needs dirt, and it needs water, and it needs sunshine. And if it does all those things, it's going to become this invasive weed. Jesus was trying to do something a little funny for the farmers who were listening to him when he said it becomes a beautiful tree. Because they all would have known it wasn't. And they would have smiled thinking, yeah, this dude's talking about something that can really take over our lives. Faith is the eye of love. That's where faith folks can become this, this network, this weaving. And it becomes a weaving. It's interesting, this weaving, where it, where it becomes this weaving. I'll be talking about this more in a couple weeks. Between, between God, us, and other people. Two great commandments with Curtis Red there. You know, it becomes this weaving of things. That's what faith is. Let me share a moment with you from yesterday. So I was had a wonderful time doing a wedding up in the Pocono Mountains. We have a lot of great connections up there, a lot of great congregants up in that area. And, I, and I'm talking to this, this couple, and I'm saying, I close our conversation, young couple, and I'm saying, well, what, what can I pray for for you? And, and she just, and she, they, they were a really wonderful couple. They're talking about all their plans, what they got going, and she just bursts into tears. You know, it's a private moment, what she talked about. And that's her story to tell. But just for a minute, it was this reminder, faith never stands alone. I can't come into that situation as the guy with faith who's going to give them a pill or give them eye drops. I can come into that just trying to serve and just trying to listen. Weirdly, that's a moment of faith for me. That's a moment that is very faithful. Nobody got baptized. Nobody said they were saved in that moment. But there was just this moment of faith because love was present. That kind of faith, folks, is, is something that can, that can change the world. I, I, love, I love this book. It's one we're doing a book study on. Rachel Held Evans' book, Searching for Sunday, Loving, Leaving, and Finding Church Again. And it's, it's, sort of, it's, it's a great story because Rachel Held Evans, who has since, since unfortunately passed away, she, when she grew up, she grew up with, as, as a very self-righteous young lady. Like She knew Christianity, and she was going to change everybody. And there was no conversation. She was, she was going to change. She was going to wear you down. And she has this beautiful story in this book. And it's, it's, it, it makes me giggle. So, so she would go to this church camp. And of course, I'll just, we do have a fair number in our studio audience today. You can shout along at home. So when they, when they sat for presentations, where did she sit in the room? The front. She sat in the front row. And then in the back... Remember those kids who were too cool for school? Some of you were that way. Some of you were too cool for school. And you remember you sat in the back, right? I sort of sat right in the middle because I wasn't quite cool, but I wasn't going to sit in the front either. So, so, so here are all these, these sort of these bad boys who are sitting in the back. No doubt they were at this church function because their parents made them. And they're at this, this youth group function, and they're doing this goofy thing called Chubby Bunny. Now, Chubby Bunny is where you grab peeps. Now, for anyone who's confused, peeps are from hell. We can just be clear about that. And you stuff as many of these peeps in your mouth as you can. And whoever stuffs the most amount of peeps wins. Well, none of the kids sitting up front wanted to do that contest, wonder why. And then all of a sudden, Joe, too cool for school, there he is. Joe, too, too cool for school, raises his hand and in James Deaton fashion goes, I'll do it. And that's where we, that's where we pick, up, pick up the story. So she is, she is all upset about this because he ends up, I mean, big surprise, right? Made for TV movie. He ends up winning. And then is she happy with him winning? Take a guess. No, because he doesn't get it. He's not really religious. 
And so she goes to her youth pastor to sort of complain about this and gripe a little bit about how the guy, the back, the back row boy, how can he be the hero? And this is what her pastor said. He said, it's not my job to change people, Brian told me when I pestered him about it. It's my job to just love people. Yeah, isn't that good? I didn't give you chills. It's not my job to change people. It's my job to love people. Live that for a week. Live that for a week. She goes on. I figured this man, he was playing some sort of long game, working his way into their lives, the Too Cool crew, into their lives before recruiting them to the revival. Listen to this. This is also beautiful. It never occurred to me. Mm, this makes me cry. It never occurred to me that there were probably times when Brian was just loving me too. Mm. Faith is the eye of love. Not a faith as certainty. Not a faith that is weaponized. Never a faith that's going to be keeping people or categories of people out. Ever. Faith is the eye of love. And there's no time we need to remember that as much as when the storm is actually raging. I think when life's going good, it's easy to look at the world with love. Can we do it when life isn't that? Can we just look at that window and just think, okay, my job today is to look at the world with love. Because that's first light. And, and what happens when we hear that call? Well, a number of things happen. One is, again, we see in a first light, and there's a beauty there, like the light is dawning, folks. Story of creation, first thing created, first thing blessed, that first light. And the other one is this. Swedenborg says it's where we not only have knowledge, like there's faith as knowledge, but, but this is faith as acknowledgement. Now, that may sound like, well, that's, that's parsing a fine line there. What does that mean? Well, think about it, folks. Imagine you're with someone, and they just have a knowledge of you. Not a bad thing, right? It's nice to have a knowledge of other people, but they just have a knowledge, just a knowledge of you. And imagine you're at a, at a party or a wedding or a baptism or whatever, and instead this person, like, draws you to their side. They, they pull you over to someone else. They go, I want to acknowledge this person. You see the difference? I think it's the same way with faith. When we have faith, we pull people close and we go, I not only have knowledge of you, but I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge that life's really hard and you still keep showing up. I want to acknowledge that you're feeling overwhelmed as a mom and you're still feeding your kids. I want to acknowledge that you love other people. I want to acknowledge that I see you. I'm not seeing you just from knowledge, though that's good. I'm acknowledging you because I'm seeing down to your soul. I'm seeing you at your very depth. And what happens there, folks? Well, well, faith becomes more than just an observation. You know, in other words, it becomes more than just something I put down there and like, yeah, I can observe that thing, that pillbox or that whatever. Like, I look at that and go like, oh yeah, that's, that's faith right there. It becomes much more of this broader acknowledgement and this much more the water we swim in, the air we breathe. Faith never travels alone. Faith never travels alone. So it moves from being something we observe to something we experience. Something we observe to something we experience. And what happens there, folks? Well, here's a, here's a beautiful line from the book Secrets of Heaven. They act on their faith out of love. And this is when we really get it. Think of this is, this is, this is like the super varsity angels. <laughs> get this. They act on their faith out of love. And even the good works of faith are something they do out of love. So both the works and the faith vanish. And only love and good remain. 
Now, he's talking about faith as we would, in a more materialistic way, understand it, you know, a bunch of doctrinal stuff. We're supposed to get to a point where we're so in the flow, where that stuff serves, but we get it's there to serve. We're here to be in the flow. We're here to really work at showing up as loving people, especially when times are difficult, especially when times are challenging. And we show up for God that way. That's what he asks. We show up for other people that way because that's what they need. And we show up ready for ourselves that way. For ourselves that way. Just that simple trust. Faith is the eye of love. So we're going to have our second song now. And I'd ask you just to think about what that means for you. We're going to have a song. We're going to see a little, little video here from Angela. And then we're going to come back. And Curtis and I are going to do a short close where we actually have a little conversation around the idea that faith never travels alone. Enjoy the music. Travel on with there one day and the next day gone. Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand, sometimes you turn your back to the wind. There's a world outside every darkened door where blues will not haunt you anymore. Where graves are free and lovers all come ride with me to the distant shore. We won't hesitate to break down the garden gate. There's not much time left today. Road and needs all the hands from Mozambique to those men. 
Angela, we need your help. We are coming down to the final week of our fiscal year. It ends at the end of this month, and we have a little less than $40,000 to raise. We are fully capable of meeting our stewardship goal, and our future health and sustainability rests in your support. We need you to make a donation to help us get to our goal to continue to fund all the things that you count on here. Streaming services to your home on Sundays, midweek services like the 10 Minutes of Calm, small groups like the book club that we just launched that was hugely successful, um, lunch with the pastor, all kinds of community service initiatives like the backpack drive that we're getting up and, and running. We need your support to get all of that supported and to be able to continue to innovate and uh, reach you wherever you are on your spiritual path. So we hope you'll consider making a donation today. We know we can do this together. Every gift, every amount truly makes a difference in getting us to our fundraising goal. So we hope you will make a gift today. If you're looking for an easy way to give, you can actually text the word New Church Live, all one word, all lowercase to 77977. Or you can visit our website and you can click on the donate tab. It's super easy and we hope you will consider making a donation today. Thanks everyone. Let's go. Let's go. So, you know, again, we do deeply appreciate your financial support here at New Church Live. It helps us to do what we do. We're trying to do church in a new way. It's fun to watch it, and we have a lot of people who get involved, and we'd ask you to get involved financially. So, with that, we're shifting gears back to the service. First off, could we have a warm round of applause for Curtis, you know, joining us today? And, and um, you know, Curtis and I have a, have a long history, a wonderful history, and, and I, we just wanted to have a little conversation. This is not scripted. This is literally totally off the cuff, just about, about faith. And, and Curtis, I wanted to start with that idea. When I say the idea that faith never travels alone, when faith never travels alone, what, is that, what does that sort of cue up for you? Well, it can't, it can't do what it's supposed to do if it's alone. What, what was really striking to me in looking at the New Church definition of faith is that faith has a purpose. It's there to help love come into being. So you can accumulate a bunch of ideas and thoughts about, does, is there God, is there life after death? But what is really faith is, I know life can be better than this. I, I want to be part of the solution. And that desire attracts those ideas to it. This is why so often in the work that we'll, we'll do online, people come and they get interested in the ideas of faith when something happens, like when they lose somebody that they love. Even people who had been distant from religion or spirituality, when somebody dies and that love that the two of them had is searching for um, some kind of comfort or some kind of how can this make sense, that starts to attract people towards the idea that God exists. When people see uh, the need that people have, that opens them up to this idea that there's a, there's a way to live that can bring that. So I, for me, that clicked it in, that we, faith is there because it's trying to do something. And the thing it's trying to do is love. There can be plenty of people who have love, and faith is the way to make that love real. I got nothing. I mean, that's really good. good, good goodbye, everyone. <laughs> I, I, I love that idea, right? That faith is there to do something. Faith is there to do something. And it's, it's interesting, as you were saying that, I thought, isn't it interesting that a lot of the time we think, oh, I have to have faith up front, then I'll do something. We're, we're, we're human beings. You can't, <laughs> you can't just say, oh, I have to have whatever. You, you are how you are. And the expectation that you're... I'm going to tell you this, this thing about God, or I'm going to tell you this thing about spirits. Do you believe it? Yeah. We don't know. Okay, I've heard it. Maybe it sounds good, but it takes a long time to come to believe things, yeah. especially things that are 
um, you can't just see right in front of you, and things that deal with the most important themes in life. So I, I do think you can engage with the things of religion and spirituality with the same mind that you engage with everything else on. You don't have to turn your brain off or your sense of right and wrong and follow some artificial pattern. It's just bringing that same heart and mind to these topics. So people think, I have to. You don't have to. <laughs> just do, yeah, just see where you are honestly and know that we, we are built as human beings to be able to go on this journey, so you're gonna be able to do it. But yeah, you're, where you are is good. That's beautiful. So I, I, a final question for you here, Curtis, and I, I love what you said there, and it just, it just really resonates as being, as being true. So there's many people watching today. You know, um, hundreds of folks will be watching this, this service throughout the week, hundreds of households all over the place, and there'll be somebody there sitting, and they'll have listened to what we said, and they'll be like, okay, but what do I do? And they'll just want to take, like, the first small step. Now, now again, granted that, that the first step in a long journey is the hardest step. If you, if you were to say, yeah, you know what? This is the smallest, gentlest step that you might think about taking this week if you're really struggling. What would, what would you say to someone? It's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah. What would I say to somebody? Well, I, I think you would look for what's already in your faith. So what, what's already alive to you? Uh, where, where do you already see that your longing for what's good has found its, its solution, its eureka, and those work together? I bet if you sit, like, sure, I might not really get these things, but th this has always made sense to me. Like I, th that you should, it's better to be, um, it's better to be kind than right. Who knows what your, what your particular one is, but look, look for where those already are and just dwell on the feeling of that because any part of God that we touch is, is a, a little microcosm of the whole thing. So uh, what, I, what would you do if someone said oh, that? Oh, what, what did I do? Um, as, a, as a pastor, like, I really, I really try to, you know, my practice is as much as I can, and it's a practice because I don't have it yet, right? It's, it's to really be as soft as I can be. So, so somebody's, oftentimes people are struggling with faith around tragic circumstances, right? Right, yes. So I hear that all the time. So if somebody comes to me and says, like, oh, I'm really struggling. I, I, I just I have this loss, and, and, uh, and, and my uncle, I just, lost, I just lost my uncle. My uncle, I'll say, let's, literally, I'll say, like, let's just take a breath. Tell me his name. And the tears come. And it's just that little moment of faith and love coming together and just allowing them to say the name of their loved one is an act of faith because they're no longer searching for like the answer, the way to, the way to stack up the blocks to just be perfect. Right. Yeah, like you, you might think, oh, if I have faith, I wouldn't be sad. Right, That right. this person's died because they're in heaven. No. But that, that's not the way that we are. Yeah. And I would even say, Curtis, that people with faith are going to be more sad in a certain sense, right? Like, it's, it's just because we, I, I think as, as God stirs our heart, we do start to see what the world can be. And it's painful when it's not that way. In a way that's much, much harder to understand. I don't want to get too esoteric here, but much harder to understand get, if you're just too esoteric. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, like if, if life, if, if uh, Henry James once said, you know, if life was all about happiness, let's just all drink beer. Yeah. And, and like, let's just all drink beer. It was just all about happiness. Like, no heartbreak ever. Let's just drink beer. Swedenborg would talk about imaginary heavens that way. But, but real faith, actually, you know, it, it, it is, it is, it's like hearts broken versus hearts broken open. And real faith will, you will break your heart and it will be broken open. And, and I think that's, that's kind of how it's set up to work. Because those, those, um, the tenderness that you can get to in the reality yes. of a relationship after you have had hard things happen, it's not just, hey, I'm, I'm drinking a beer, this is fun, I'm drinking a beer, this is fun. Uh, I'm too old to drink beer anymore. But, <laughs> but th that's way better. And it's something that you, when you're in the throes of, you know, materialism, egocentric pleasure, you, you can't really get how, how powerful the little things in life are. 
but once we go through these ups and downs and they lead us to, I remember I had this like health issue uh, uh, like two years ago and I remember in it, I didn't know what was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And I remember just very clearly realizing like I just wanna be here so I can be uh, a husband and father. Like I just like, that's it, that's all, that's all I wanna do. And in my normal life, I have so many things that I'm keeping score on and tracking my progress and weighing that. But that, that got me to realize, oh, there's, there's like this magic in this. I remember being at this, we were going to pick up vegetables at this farm and I saw these geese flying by and I just noticed this is a very regular moment in life and realizing how amazingly, that, that's a very precious thing just to have regular life because I had this yeah. doubt. It was just me worrying, I was fine. But I had this doubt at the time, am I gonna get, keep participating in this? So I think that's what you're talking about, yeah. that, that this, um, the, the ups and downs create this acknowledgement of what's really important in life, and that acknowledgement draws the things of faith to it, it recognizes them. So when somebody says, um, I lost my uncle, and now I want to talk to you about God, it's because that love cries out for the knowledge of God. The, the yeah. two have to go together. Yeah. Last thing I want to say is, you were mentioning the, that just listening to somebody can be this act of faith. I remember when I was um, in high school, I went to this church camp, and they had both, you would learn things about what's God like and all that, but then there were also these sharing groups that you were in where you would just get in there and people would talk about what's going on in their lives. And, and they would, if they felt safe, they would share kind of their, their secrets and things they're really struggling with. And that was really powerful to me to, to understand, oh, these things occur in the same week. These go hand in hand, like the listening and the caring, and then the ideas about who God is. Those don't always necessarily, the pairing is not always obvious to us, but that is essential to it, to it being alive. So I loved what you said there about oh, that's that. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Curtis. Well, I just want to give Curtis another round of applause and thank Let's him for joining us here. <laughs> thank you, Curtis. Thank you, thank Great. you. And yeah, what a, what a, you know, just a lot to, to not only think about, you know, today, but, but to live into, right? And can we just live into it? And, and I loved what Curtis was saying, you know, he's talking about, so we start to discover this tenderness, not a certainty, but a tenderness. And, and that tenderness, here's, here's something to just think about, right? And let's all, because this is a beautiful quote, one of my favorite quotes. Let's all just get a big breath. Thomas Merton said, when we get to that tender place, listen to this, folks. He said, the gate of heaven is everywhere. It's good. <laughs> the gate of heaven is everywhere. So that's the wish, right? That we find a faith that's born of love, that if we're struggling, we, we practice the, you know, faith is the eye of love, that we see the two together, and I, I loved, again, what Curtis shared, like, that's the purpose of faith, is to get us to love, is to get us out there in the world. It's much easier to do it from a sense of trust that God has your journey. And that's what we wish you, folks. So thank you so much for joining us today. A huge thank you to all of you who are joining us live and archived from the Swedenborg Foundation, including my, my, my buddy Tim. Great to have you here today as well. And with that, we're going to close with a prayer, and then we'll have a little bit of, little bit more music. And then if you'd like to visit out there in the lobby for our studio audience, you are more than welcome to join us for some refreshments. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your grace, your peace, your hope, and your kindness. Thank you as well, Lord, for helping us in ways to maybe understand faith in a little bit more of a nuanced way to see it throughout life, to see it as the eye of love, to see it as something that moves us forward. Thank you, Lord. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you home, and bring you friends. Peace. Amen.